Hey everybody, you're listening to Sit Down with Stand-Ups. I'm Ari Azizian, and my guest today is one of my favorite comedians. Uh, he has two great comedy albums available on iTunes right now. One of them is called uh, Comedy Wondertown, and the other one is How to Get High Without Drugs. And they're both absolutely hilarious. you got to listen to them. And he has a really cool podcast called Me and Paranormal You, and he talks about paranormal activities with great comedians, and it's, it's really cool and funny and interesting. And uh, you also may have seen him on Marin. Uh, he was on an episode, I think, last season, and he's going to be on one this season. And uh, he's just really funny, and you got to see him live if you can. So here's my conversation with the very funny Ryan Singer. Oh, we're going, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, how old was I when I first... I was... Uh, gosh, I was probably 21 years old when I first performed. And then I took a few years off for... Just for ridiculous reasons. Why was that? Were you I got like or? super religious. Yeah. Um, I had a Catholic upbringing and I gotten... I kind of had like a break from reality for a while. And... Uh, I had moved here when I was 21-ish, I think, and um, I think I did maybe a handful of open mics, and then when I was out here, I kind of had a break uh, from reality, and then drove back to Ohio and was just super religious for a couple of years, for like two and a half years probably, where I just, I thought the end of the world was happening, I thought. Why did that happen? I mean, I thought it was like a the prophecy type shit, yeah. you know? I don't know why it happened. Probably because, uh, probably a mixture of my upbringing, mm-hmm. being raised Catholic and having a grandmother who was really into all that kind of prophecy stuff. Right. And also some mental instability. So it was like a cocktail of, because, you know, when you have like a a, a flare up right. of that kind of, <laughs> I mean, some people, I don't know if they'll be offended by that or not, but like I had a flare up of this religious kind of thing. And then you... You juxtapose that with stand-up comedy, which is, if you wanted to be honest, it would be the most selfish profession. Right, exactly. It's like, this is all about me. Yeah. Right? You say you want to make people laugh, but it's... Yeah, it's like, it's a solitary, it's like, you know, at its foundation, there's narcissism there. I mean, yeah, it's that idea that, oh, you know, I'm trying to bring laughter to people. No, but it's all about you. It's all about (laughs) me, me, me. So I was like, oh, if there's anybody going to hell... It's this guy, right? <laughs> right. I want to be famous because of everything I've come up with, you know, as opposed to other people. Like actors are made famous by casting directors and directors. And, right. You know, they count on so many other people for their projects to be successful. But for and Hollywood, state, I feel like it's kind of shocking, too, because it's like not what you would think it is. And yeah. It's just like horrible and everybody's kind of. And the streets are dirty dreams. and you're like, wait, why is there a bunch of trash and urine exactly. on the uh, on the stars of like. Yeah. <laughs> on the uh, Lawrence Olivier star <laughs> on Hollywood Boulevard. Like that's Lawrence Olivier. And you're telling me somebody just pooped blood on him. <laughs> Come on. This is Hollywood. I know. You know, but yeah, then you're like, oh, this is Hollywood. Right. This is it. There's yeah. French fries all over Charlie Chaplin. Star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like anywhere else in the world. I mean, it can get dirty and it's, you know, the, it relies a lot on mystique and right uh you know but once you get past all that i think you can really embrace the grit of it uh, i mean i was just hiking yesterday looking down onto downtown and just being like oh man i guess i'm i guess i love this city i actually had that thought you know it, it grows it, on you kind of yeah it sure does i mean i've always loved it to a degree 
but um, as far as like embracing it as as your own city, uh, where you hail from, I guess that's a little bit different. Um, especially when you know, because I love nature and I come from the Midwest, and it's a little bit slower and a little more spread out. I right. enjoy the, you know, I enjoy space, uh, open spaces a lot. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know if I would, if I would live here the rest of rest of my life if if I have a very long life. But um, I imagine I'll always have some kind of place here. Yeah. But it's hard knowing like you're wasting like a percent of your life just sitting on the 405. Just like it's a horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I avoid the 405 at all costs. Exactly. Unless it's two in the morning. Right. Yeah. Um, so after these three years, do you think stand up had a part in that? Were you just like, I'm, I need a break from all of this? And no, I mean, I never stopped loving stand up. Right. Um, although I will be honest that the... The idea of people always wanting to hear jokes and stuff once they find out you're I was a stand up that um that wore on me in some weird way to the point where cause I remember I'm I'm I was very and maybe I still am, it's part of my personality, but I was always about declarations. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd always make these great declarations about yeah. my life and uh I said, uh I never want to hear another joke again. <laughs> you know, I was so tired of people telling me jokes right. or like, hey, tell me a joke. Oh, you're a stand-up, blah, blah, blah. Where I was to the point where I was like, I never want to hear another joke again. <laughs> yeah. Let alone tell one. And uh, so, I mean, in some degree, stand-up had a little bit of that. But I think if I was to be really honest, I'm just kind of, this is kind of occurring to me now as I'm talking, but if I was to really be honest about that feeling at the time, it was just me realizing I'd given up and funneling that, I don't know, self-hatred or disappointment yeah. into projecting it outward. Wow. Yeah. You know, that would probably be, that would probably be the, the most honest answer I could, I could, I mean, it's been, it's been, you know, 16 years since then. So, you know, my memory isn't, you know, one, it's not like it happened yesterday. Right. So, you know, time has a way of, you know, putting its filters on things. But, but you came back after three years. Sure. Yeah. I got, um, I got into improv. Um, oh, cool. Where'd you I always enjoyed, it? I always enjoyed improv, but I was in Ohio and I got into a group there Sweet. somehow. So that I feel like is the, the comedy that's not narcissistic because you're still making people laugh, but you're with a group. So but you have to listen to other people less. and yeah. yeah. And listening is really important. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you, and it's never as good if you force your, your preconceived ideas in. Right. Um, I do think, uh, Improv, there's something to be... I, I always loved improv, too. I, I, I studied theater in college for a while, and whenever we would do improv exercises, I really excelled and really enjoyed that, just because I had so much fun doing it. Um, I was waiting tables at this restaurant, and some guy I worked with, he's like, man, there's this improv group they're having auditions. You should go to it. And I was like, ah, no. Nah. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't really do com- the comedy thing. You know, it's right. not really my style. But I'd started to come out of the, I'd started to shake loose a little bit from this, like, religious, like, reckoning. And the declaration I, of no more jokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because at work, I was always funny. I mean, I, or, not always funny, but I was always having fun and trying to make people laugh at work. Um, so I was never one of those people who, whenever you see him at work, you know, it's like, oh, how you doing? And, it's like, oh, why'd I ask that question? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you what happened Gotta to me today. <laughs> you know, I was always like, I'm at work. I have to be here. I might as well try to enjoy it. Make the best so of it. always, you know, maintaining a positive attitude to the best of my ability. That's and so then, cool uh, that somebody came up to you and said that you should 
do this. Yeah, he was kind of a buddy of mine, and um, his name was James. And uh, yeah, and so I went to the audition, and apparently I didn't really knock it out of the park, but uh, they decided to give me a chance anyway. I may have been the only person who came to audition. (laughs) Quite frankly, I think I may have been uh, (laughs) the only one. And uh, and then after like a couple weeks of like practicing, you know, going to like practices and stuff, and they're like, "Oh wow, we really didn't know." You had it in you. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, when you first came by, and I'm sure I was rigid, you know, I'd rusty. Uh, working with others wasn't uh, my strong suit in comedy necessarily because uh, I'd, you know, solely been focused on stand-up mm-hmm. in the past. But, uh, and then we did a show at a comedy club against other, it was like a competition against other improv groups. Oh, sweet, yeah. And I remember being on stage. I was, I'll never forget the moment. The 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 prompt was like this was like two thousand the end of two thousand one okay. two thousand two uh, the prompt was something about a rodeo and uh, <laughs> I pretended like I was a rodeo clown yeah. hiding inside of the one of those trash barrels oh yeah <laughs> right and uh, so and I'd pop off, I'd pop out of it and look <laughs> around and I was scared or something yeah. right it was the thing I was I was a scared rodeo clown so I never came out and. Uh, I remember popping out one point. I mean, I could see the whole time anyway. Right, it's not exactly. like the barrel was it's there. But <laughs> yeah, I remember popping out and looking around at the, you know, at the rodeo, but the crowd and uh, thinking to my, and then looking over and seeing my buddy there. And I'm like, oh, why is he up here? Oh, yeah. Like, not like, why is he up here? Right. But like, oh, I wish I was up here by myself telling jokes. Yeah. As opposed to doing this. I mean, it was fun. But at the same time, like, I even had that thought when I was supposed to be in the moment of, like, oh, I should be doing stand-up here. Right. This should be me on stage I telling jokes. Yeah. So I came back. And then afterwards, the manager of the club said, hey, man, you're funny. We have open mic here on every Wednesday. Uh, you should come by. And, and so the next week, I went by, and I, I, I never stopped after that. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I just lived at the club for the next few years. What kind Every of club night. was it? Was a comedy club? Yeah, it was called Wiley's. Wiley's. Wiley's Comedy Club in downtown Dayton. Still there. That's I so perform fun. there every Christmas with uh, Beth Stelling because she's from. Oh, she's so funny too. Yeah, from the same city. So we uh, we do Christmas time uh, together. That's awesome. The last three years we've done it. That's so cool. So you, how long was it where you were at that club for before you came out here? Uh, well, I didn't move out here until about four years ago. It was 2011 when I moved out here the summer. Um. So I was, you know, essentially just hanging out at that club as an open micer for three or four years, um, if not longer. Just there Thursday through Sunday night, or Wednesday through Sunday, essentially, because, you know, they had the open mic on Wednesday, so I was there for that every week. Um, then I would just hang out for the whole weekend of every, all the shows oh, nice, every yeah. weekend, you know. And a lot of big comics would come through and... Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a uh, like an A-list club necessarily, but a lot of great comics came through. Um, I met a lot of really cool comics through there. Like, you know, unfortunately, a lot of them, not a lot of them, but some of them are no longer alive. But like a guy like Ron Schock was incredible. One of the Texas Outlaws yeah. came up with Kennison and Hicks and all them and Carlo Bove. And man, I hung out with him a ton of times. Wow. Um uh, Tim Wilson had come through. He's no longer uh, with us either. But then, I mean, he mostly worked the other club in town. But um, got to hang out with him and do shows with him and work with him. That dude was brilliant. Another great storyteller and joke writer. And 
Were these uh, guys all your influences too when you were like growing up? I mean, sure, a little bit. I mean, certain guys you'd you'd uh, or women. I mean, unfortunately, not a lot of women came through. I mean, the club did bring you know a few women in, like the Untamed Shrews. Uh, well, that was they. They would come to the other club actually in town. What was the Untamed Shoes? Right the Untamed Shoes is this uh, female comedy duo. Duo. Yeah. Cool. And they're exactly what you'd think <laughs> by their name, but they're great. Um, they're real nice, uh, nice women. Uh, you know, they got an act and they do it well, regardless of you know if it's right up your alley or not. Right. They're really good at it, but yeah, sure. I mean, there's a guy named Ken Rogerson, really funny dude. Okay. He's an old Boston guy. Um, And wow, he was just like, like, oh, wow, this guy's really funny. And then uh, this guy named John Caponero, he's a a guy out of Chicago originally. I think he's still there in Chicago. But um, that's when I realized, oh, man, there's like levels to these jokes. Like, it's like, boom, he's got a joke. And then, boom, takes it up another level to that joke. And then, boom, there's a third level to this joke. It's like you're taking an elevator through his joke. Just like, holy shit, a joke doesn't have to be... Set up punch, set up punch. Set up punch, yeah. Because that never... I always enjoyed that. Like, Stephen Wright's great, and I love that. And Hedberg was great, and I like that as well. But but I was never my... That's never what I gravitated towards. I always gravitated towards more expansive stuff. Um, I love your stuff too. When I listen to it, I'm just like, oh, that's the, the same feeling I get. I'm like, wow, it's like so like intricate and so many levels to it. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that, but it's definitely influenced by, you know, especially when Caponera, the first time I saw Caponera live, you know, it was like, oh, wow, you can really kind of expand. I mean, it all launched from that. It is cool exploring har- a topic. Sure. Yeah. And it's, I really enjoy, and sometimes it's hard to do with your own stuff, but like, it's easy when you're outside of it and you're watching someone else. Right. You're like, oh man, there's all this room to play in this part of your joke. Yeah. And like, oh, I didn't think about that. And then, but then it, when it comes comes to my own shit, it's like you have to like, I figured out a trick. Before I was reco- recording my last album, it was 2011. Um, or 2000, 2011 or 2012. I, I can't remember. Um, I think it was 2011. And, uh, I just kept listening to my sets over and over and over and over again because then I then I figured out if I listened to the same set long enough or enough times, sooner or later I disconnect from it even oh, yeah. being my own set. Like I've just listened to it. I mean, it's not easy to do. Yeah. It almost feels like you're punishing yourself, <laughs> you know? Right. But then by like that fourth time of listening to that same you know, 50 minutes set at a club in a loony bin in Oklahoma City where it's just like, why am I listening to this <laughs> shit again? Uh, You're able to separate and like yeah. just watch yourself. Kind and of. I'm like, oh, why? Why didn't this asshole say this here? Yeah. Like, this guy's got so much room to play with this. Oh, that's me. Yeah, that's so And then it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, and then the joke becomes better. I mean, that's a commitment. So, like, I mean, I try to, it's hard to do and sometimes I, I'm, I'm better at it than other times. But, like, if I just hike... Or if I'm driving around LA, stuck just on the 405, just listen to my stuff. Um, you know, luckily there's enough self-love balanced with self-hatred that I can pull it off. But I'm having deja vu in a major way right now, oh, which is an interesting <laughs> thing. But um, which is, I think is just a sign of synchronicity. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I think that definitely was influent- influential. But the thing that probably really launched me from the beginning as far as that whole idea goes about exploring was Robin Williams has a 
It's a roughly a half hour comedy special that's hard to find, but you can find it on YouTube. A bad quality of it. It's an HBO thing. I forget the name of the series, but um, it's not the one most people are thinking of. But it's the one where like Tony Danza's in the audience, and I've seen that. It was uh, recorded at the Roxy, I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah, and like he climbs the, yeah, the he wall. Yeah, he climbs the stage. Yeah, goes yeah the and um, he uh, apparently he wasn't. Like the Fonz is in the crowd. Too, yeah, yeah, the like Fonz that. is there. Yeah, he brings. Uh, oh, who the fuck does he bring on stage at the end of it? If you see the extended cut, he's got a. Uh, oh shit! Who comes up on stage and does improv with him? Um, I can't believe I can't remember this right now because I just is that watched the Mr. it. Mr. T joke where he puts the. That's the other special, right? He puts yeah, the that's call. the other one. Um, oh, John Ritter. He brings John Ritter was in the crowd oh, yeah, as well, yeah. and John he comes brings John Ritter on stage, <laughs> and John Ritter is not real excited about like getting right. dragged up on stage, but he does it. It's like the because they're of friends. The company kind of. And um, yeah, so they uh, and it's so amazing because there's times where he's like he's gone too far, and he's he's lost the crowd. Yeah, he loses the crowd multiple times, and then you know it always brings him back, and I'm like, oh my god, there's no rule to, there's no rule on how you have to do this uh or rules but specifically there's no rule you know i think we forget that in stand-up comedy that you know oh i have to do it this way or and it also depends on what's hot right now like or what scene is hot not like not what style necessarily but you know scene influences style a lot and i think vice versa but you know people are like you know like the nerd thing is so popular and all right this now, kind of stuff yeah. we have to f you know i have to get into that scene and it's like no you don't you just do whatever it is that you do to the best of your ability and then you slot in wherever you go and hopefully you can slot in everywhere at the you know simultaneously yeah because funny is funny i mean you just bring up that like like what's hot right now and stuff i know a lot of like the thing is kind of like like nerd, I guess. I don't know, but yeah, I, I I don't know any other way to say it. I guess, but it's they, yeah, I can't think of another way. Yeah, I mean, like the meltdown. I mean, just in general, that space has the best shows, right? Totally. Uh, you know, some of the best shows. I mean, there's other places as well, but I really appreciate the kind of comedy like you just mentioned, Robin, and yourself. You you do like characters and voices and like all that stuff, and I don't feel like I see that a lot anymore. It's always like kind of like a talking head, and it's yeah, well, talking their, head their own character. Yeah, talking head pays your bills. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's. Talking head is easier to. There's less risk, I guess. Yeah, I, I I never really consider risk um, as a factor when I'm trying to come up with something, but I do, I do understand that when it comes to being able to market yourself, and I mean, if you want to consider all that stuff, right? And maybe that's my problem is I don't, but, um, and when I say my problem, I mean financially, like making other people money and making myself money, but, um. You know, I'm not real concerned. I mean, I make a living doing stand-up as it is right now. That's it's it's mean. meager, but it's like, I mean, what else do I want? Right. I didn't get into this business That's thinking. That's the dream. I feel like. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to have, you know, uh, a, a mansion in Malibu. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what I would do with a mansion in Malibu. <laughs> like, just the idea of having a mansion in Malibu gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> like, oh my God, how much is this mortgage? What the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm paying $6,000 a month to pay for a house. Why are there three garages? <laughs> Why are there? Yeah. I have to put things in those garages? Yeah, you have to buy I don't have that many baseball cards. <laughs> I have a small box in my room still that I've been like staring at for the last three days. Cause I'm trying to clear all my stuff out. I'm trying yeah. to get rid of all my stuff. And um, uh, I'm not dying or anything. but uh, And I'm just like, oh, there's some baseball cards in here. 
I should just get rid of them. I'm like, no, they'll be 30 years old in like two years, some of them. Ah, uh, get rid of them. No, keep them for your kid. Ah, uh, you're 38. <laughs> you're not even dating a woman. How are you going to have kids? Yeah, I should just get rid of them. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I like to look at them. When's the last time you looked at them? Oh, shit. You know, like, yeah, totally and then next thing you know, I've lost my afternoon. Right. Just sitting on my floor staring at a box of baseball cards <laughs> that I didn't even look at. Uh, the same thing with like my Star Wars like action figures. Like uh, I should take it out of the case, you know. No, it's not worth as much. And then like yeah, yeah. What do I do? My stepdad is a out. maniac with Star Wars stuff. Like yeah. they have this big room in their basement in Ohio filled with Star Wars stuff. His oh, wow. garage is filled like the the shelves. Oh my gosh! Like I have like three, and I still can't get rid. Of them. Yeah, it's. I don't know what he's gonna do with it all. I mean, like it's. <laughs> ridiculous how much i mean he's a real fanatic does he have like every like army person from hoth they could just like probably yeah i mean he's got he's got every every conceivable piece (laughs) of star wars memorabilia or action figure stuff and but if you met him you would never guess it yeah he's a guy he's getting ready to retire because he's 70 now but he's an architect real fun loving guy loves his wine loves to play golf and the secret star wars basement and then there's just the secret star wars basement that's so cool yeah it's pretty cool (laughs) It's pretty cool. But yeah, like I wouldn't know what to do with all that stuff. And, uh, you know, money is, I'm not interested. I'm not that interested in money, which is weird to be in Hollywood and trying to make it and not really caring. But it's also very freeing, I think, in that way. Yeah. Here when are you some people disconnect like, from outcome. You right. Know? There's some people I hear like, they're like, oh, yeah, I want to like make a bunch and like drive a like Ferrari. I was like, that's your dream. That's it. We can go yeah. rent a Ferrari. And there's <laughs> funny people out there who are very financially driven. Right. And some of them are my friends and I mean, they're doing great right now and you know what? And they're still funny. Um, I don't think necessarily the uh, pinnacle of the art form, at least their version of it is necessarily their goal. Mm. But uh, at the same time, I don't know what their goal is. And I mean, I, and honestly, I I don't really care, but um, you know, it's not me. It's not my place to, to worry about that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's hard enough to keep myself focused on, you know, trying to trying to stay motivated and not just go to the mountain or the beach every day. Yeah. You just know? enjoy life, yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you, you listen to your, like, recordings a lot and you go back and you'll add stuff there. Uh, is that how you usually write your jokes or do you sit down with, like, a pen and paper? Um, well, I try to... I try to free write every day. And I, I, depending on how many other things I've got going on mm-hmm. or projects I'm working on, I... I do have a, pro- a a bad habit of overloading my own plate, but with stuff that, like, you know, some people are like, oh, I make my money, then I have a passion project on the side. Yeah. I have just nothing but passion projects. <laughs> and then, then, like, a couple weeks later, I'll be like, oh, shit, I got to make some money somehow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, depending on how many projects I've got, as far as, like, if I'm trying to write a, a feature screenplay or something, or, like, develop a, a TV series or a web series or film something... Uh, then my free writing does lack a little bit. But uh, I just try to do that every day if I can. And jokes come from there. And then typically I go through those notebooks and, and look back for jokes. Go back and I'm I'm kind of bogged down. I, I just write in legal pads. But if I had to be honest, I'm, let me think. I've probably got... Oh, it's almost embarrassing to say... But I probably got ten full legal pads. I still need to. I need to go through to oh, look wow. for to look ideas. For jokes and, everything. and you know, but it's really it's a weird form of time travel because you can go back and see where you, see like 
you know, multiple days in a row, what you were just obsessed with. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it, when I first moved here was a lot of it was like me obsessing about this, uh, my girlfriend that I had just broken up with. We had very recently broken up when I moved, essentially when I moved here, we had broken up and that was like four years ago. So that's how far back I am logged on these notebooks that I'm like reading all that stuff, yeah. all this stuff. I'm like, Oh man, you are a real miserable piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! That, that's, that must be so hard to, to like. I know that feeling, and you're going back and you're reading old things and you're listening to old recordings. And you're like, oh man, like that's not even me anymore. Like I'm a totally different person. Now. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's a part of you. Like yeah, you, you went through. It. And it's the only reason you are who you are today is because of who you were. Exactly. And <laughs> it's important to not judge yourself too harshly right. because you got like, who is this guy? That piece of shit got you here. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening to one last night because um, I have this Mindcast. I mean, most people call it a podcast, but I call it a Mindcast (laughs) where uh, I interview people with paranormal abilities or experiences. And every 13th one, I do something different and weird. And I put out two a week. And on Tuesdays is something I call 30 or bonus. And like it's a, it's just, it's not a full length interview like they usually are on Fridays. And, uh, it's just half hour typically of me talking about like animal totems or, you know, Edgar Casey or what are animal totems? Animal totems are like, let's say you know, like spirit animal. Okay. Almost like what's an animal you relate to. Yeah. Or like, what's your animal that you, I, it would have to be a lizard because I see lizards all the time and I really love lizards. Oh, yeah. Um, and lizards are something I connect with. Yeah. So if there's an animal that you like that pops in your mind that you really love the most and that you connect with that typically that's going to be your, your animal totem. Okay. So, but so it was the 13th 30 year bonus because I just started doing them not too long ago. And because, uh, you know, putting out a it's not it sounds like, oh, I'll just put out one a week or whatever. And then it's like, oh, and then this year I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to step it up and go to two a week. Yeah. One interview and one thing where I just kind of talk about topics that come up a lot. And then I'm like, this has really become a lot of work. Yeah. So editing and everything. Yeah. yeah. And so this one I did. I put out a bootleg of my stand-up from three years ago. Oh, cool. There was this place in Atlanta called the Relapse Theater, which was built on like a portal to comedy heaven. It was like, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Did you ever watch yeah, that yeah. series? How I it was like it at the high schools in my in Torrance. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool because um, I think the if I'm not mistaken, the premise of that show was that town was built on a portal to hell or whatever it was, right? <laughs> I think so. And um, so that's why all that bad shit always was happening. Right. There. So my I had an ex girlfriend who I lived with who loved Buffy. And we didn't have cable, but she had the complete series on DVD. <laughs> yeah. So we watched a lot of Buffy together. <laughs> and uh, so I was listening to the set before I put it up. And it's like a 40-minute improvised set. Oh, cool. Um, and this Because this place, was a, it was called The Secret Show. And they still do it in Atlanta, but it's at a different place now because this place isn't around anymore. But where all the comics in Atlanta that are working the clubs that weekend kind of descend upon this 1 a.m. secret show on Saturday night. Yeah. And they perform. And it's not really advertised, but, you know, everybody who's, like, you know, hip to what's happening in stand-up comedy in Atlanta knows. it's a great crowd. It's a great crowd. Yeah. And uh, it's magic. And, you know, people are usually a little fucked up. I mean, uh, mean performers. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you just did... Two shows headlining at the Improv or two shows headlining at the Laughing Skull. Maybe you had a couple drinks. By the time you get on at the 1 a.m. secret show, it's probably 2.15 in the morning. Oh, gosh. You know, because all the other local comics went before you. So it's normally pretty wild. 
and fun to watch and uh, and fun to be a part of. And I've done it a few times. And the Relapse Theater was one of them where Rory Scovel allegedly did like a 45-minute improvised set. Oh, night. sweet, yeah. And there's a guy, Gilbert Lowend, who lives in New York City now, but he was responsible. One of the guys responsible for kind of like the independent scene in Atlanta becoming something. Him and Jared Harris were kind of, you know, initially the guys that got the Atlanta underground scene going. And so Gilbert was telling me, he was, he's a good friend of mine now, and he was telling me, uh, oh, Rory did this, you know, like he just improvised for 45 minutes. I was like, well, I was like, oh, I'll beat him. I'll do, I'll beat him by a minute. <laughs> I was just kind of, I was kidding. Yeah. Yeah, because I was supposed to be coming there like a few months later. So I show up and I'm doing like an, uh, a 10 o'clock show at the Relapse Theater. And then I'm supposed to do the 1 a.m. And all these comics are there for like the 10 o'clock. And uh, I'm like, oh, what's up, dudes? They're like, oh, yeah, we're excited to see you. I was like, oh, I, f- I figured I'd just see you guys at the 1. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to watch both shows because Gilbert told us all about what what's happening. And I was like, what's happening? <laughs> 46 minutes. And Gilbert said, yeah, man, I told everybody that uh, you said you were going to take Scoville down. And I was like, you did what? He's like, yeah, man, I told him how you told me you were going to take Scoville down, man. You're just going to improvise your whole set. And uh, I'm doing a, a decent impression of Gilbert's voice, but uh, Gilbert's really funny. Gilbert's uh, originally from Iraq, but, you know, grew up in Georgia his whole life. Southern, yeah. So he's like, yeah, man. Sweet charm, yeah. Yeah, but it's like a... So, I'm like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> I have to improvise like a headlining set. I've never done that before. So we do the 10 o'clock show. And I remember I'm riffing at the beginning of my set. And I'm like, why are you... In my head, I'm like, stop riffing. You're you're wasting riffs. Like, <laughs> save these. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing, right? <laughs> like, I'm Throwing so mad gems. at myself. <laughs> like, do your material and save your riffs, yeah. you stupid asshole. You got to riff for 40 minutes <laughs> next show. So anyway, uh, the next set, uh, so it was a fun show. The next show starts, and then, you know, Jared Harris is in town, so he does a set. Nate Craig was in town, oh, yeah. so he did a set. And um, the show went a little long before me because um, I did 42 minutes, and to beat Scoville, I would have had to do 46. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had to, it was 3 in the morning, so they had to, like, shut oh, it down. Yeah. So I was, like, getting the light, like, shut it down. Yeah. So I didn't have a choice, but uh, and you're like, I, I'd, I'd like, watch no, like four more. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that I could have done a f- four more minutes. Yeah, but um, but it was just like, and I just recorded it on my iPhone wow. backstage, and uh, what was that feeling like j- improvising? Oh, it's insane. But like, once you get going, is there like a peak, and like, do you feel like all there's this- peaks and valleys? And I came up with some material that I still use, you know, that I I that became part of my act. Is that kind of like the Robin thing you mentioned where like you lose them for a second, but then you can win them back. Yeah. And that, that set is, a, and if anybody listening to this wants to hear it, it's, it's, I put it online. Okay. I got That was that, the yeah. uh, bonus content I put online today. Sweet. Uh, so it's like a bootleg. I put up my own bootleg out, it's on but, the uh, but it's like, and it's, you know, it's adult language. I mean, you know, when I riff, I'm always filthy initially. Yeah. I always have to clean up my act uh, just cause I go dirt, and like that's just the way my my brain works mm-hmm. and what I think is funny, so I always have to end up cleaning the act, you know, in phases. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I've always wondered, like, because I was a door guy, so I've seen every comic come and do like their same jokes, and I was always like, how can you do, do, just do improv as a stand-up? Like, is it possible? And like, 
Is it, or do you kind of have to? Sure, it, it is. It is possible. I mean, I mean, crowd work essentially is improv, depending on who the comic is. Yeah. Although, I typically don't do crowd work because I don't know it, whether it sounds shitty or not. I don't remember being a little kid thinking someday I want to grow up and talk to drunk people from a stage. <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, you know what? Someday I'm going to grow up and I'm going to tell drunk people Jokes. my ideas yeah. and what I came up with and what I've written and conceived. I don't want I'm not necessarily interested in what they have to say right. or I'm not interested in their life. Right. Um especially the 1 a.m. crowd, I feel like it's harder to talk Sure, to. yeah, I don't need to be talking to, you know. <laughs> talking to a drunk crowd, you might as well. What are you doing? Um <laughs> and once I moved into headlining, it became abundantly clear that the feature act typically the rule of thumb is if you're a feature act you don't need to be doing crowd work if you're an MC, you don't need to be doing crowd work at all um but like if you're a feature act at a club you don't need to be doing any crowd work i mean because if the headliner wants to do crowd work that's for them okay so you've talked to everybody in the crowd already so what if the headliner wanted to do, it's their show oh, essentially so it's kind of like a rule like yeah it's, it's like a rule. It's not even unspoken. Some headliners will, will pull a feature act to the side and be like, hey, don't do crowd work. That's Oh, wow. Uh, don't do that because I'm doing it. Oh, you, cool. Do your jokes. You've got 20, 25 minutes. Why are you wasting it talking yeah. to a Don't you have 25 minutes worth of jokes? Why are you featuring if you don't? Wow. So um, especially if they're drunk because then they're, then they're heckling. Because yeah. now they think they're supposed to be talking the whole time. Yeah. And now you have to be up there for an hour. And then they dealing call with these, for the headline. These people who think they're, they're part of the show now. Mm-hmm. It's like you're ruining the show. Right. Um, especially if it's a small crowd. Oh, you've literally talked to everyone in the audience <laughs> now. Exactly. It's, 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 Is it the anniversary couple? A, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from Omaha. And Great. like, and, you know, we're comics. We know you're not always able to be in the show, in the room the whole time. Maybe you're going over your own jokes or whatever. So you don't even know. So now the crowd's like, oh, this guy, now you look dumb. Yeah. Oh, this. Doesn't he know that yeah. they already answered this question? It's like well, I already talked to you. Yeah, like no, he wasn't in the room. Right. Well, he should have been, right? <laughs> you know, it's that whole thing. But it, it is. Uh, some comics just don't know any better because no one's told them. But um, so in this. And, but like I said, there's no rules. Right. Goes back to that. But there is like a an etiquette, necess- I guess you could say. And besides, I don't know why. I don't know. It's always kind of baffled me. And having crowd work skills is is valuable. It, you know, it's a valuable tool, but I'm just not interested in crowd work. If a comic it does nothing but crowd work, I'm not real interested in their act. Yeah. But some people do it really well, and so there's exceptions to all, all rules. I love so, like Rickles. Like, yeah, I that's. I mean, yeah. what are you gonna do? You're gonna sit here and say Don Rickles isn't the funniest? <laughs> bad crowd work. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, you're an <laughs> asshole if you say that. Um, but I will, I'm curious because I'm gonna listen to it right when I get home. But what was your riffing in? This forty minutes set that you did. Well, on did the you wall just think of topics and just go off of them. Well, I I played off of the comic before me a little bit uh, initially, which was Nate Craig. So the first like minute or so is like just me referencing, like doing a character based on his act. Okay. You know, kind of expanding into that. Yeah. Uh, playing around a little bit in his joke, uh, with my own take on it, mm-hmm. um, and then there was on the wall of the stage there was the word relapse painted. With, I think it was um, monkeys, or no, business suit, a man with a business suit, like carrying a briefcase, uh-huh. turning into an ape. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or vice versa, right. I can't remember. I think it was the businessman turning into an ape. Okay. 
or ape turning into the I can't remember uh which which way it went but it was like a funny take on that like ape becoming man right thing that you the see of the phases yeah. yeah yeah so um uh it's probably businessman into ape because it's called relapse and so then I just kind of went off the word relapse and then the letters of that oh cool and then just expanded um on that uh is what happened I mean, what this is such a silly question, but what's that feeling like just playing around and kind oh, of oh, it's so free? fun. And I, it should be noted at the time I had poison oak on my entire body uh, oh, wow. from a f- for a few weeks at that point, and wow. you know, with no health insurance, and you know, I was I was a crazy person, so that helped that probably. Too. Yeah, and you know, I was uh, doing whatever I could to try to deal with that. So that meant you know, drinking a little bit, and then also you know, using. Uh, drugs probably uh, I don't I wasn't like smoking weed or anything but it's in the set you'll hear there's I think there's a moment in the set where I have I think a painkiller in one pocket and like a uh, Adderall in the other pocket <laughs> and I let the audience <coughs> and I can't remember which pocket was which <laughs> so I let the audience pick which pocket pill I take <laughs> on stage and so they picked and I think I ended up taking both but um which is not the smartest thing to do. Yeah. Um, but when you're in the moment, I guess you're willing to die for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was really fun. Like it was in the moment. I just remember like, you don't really have time to think about it because you're just, once you get going, like once that train is going down the tracks, you just stay on. Right. Cause if you sit and think about what's happening, then you're going to be taken out of it. And does the audience sort of realize that you're thinking the audience doesn't know what's happening. Okay. Um, the audience, uh, it's f- if I can remember. Uh, I mean, do they know? Like when you go, do you say I'm just gonna riff? No, 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 no. So the audience board. was not in on it. Okay. So, and it's important that the audience is not in on it, but the audience begins to understand Why what's happening the... a little bit. Well, it's like it takes away the magic of it. Okay. Because um, they're a little too forgiving under those circumstances. I love doing set list that show or mm-hmm. prompter. Um, oh yeah, where they just put the word up and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Robin did one of those too. There's like a yeah. one minute video of that. Really yeah, great. I mean, who better? Yeah, uh, to do that show. And then, uh, yeah, Troy Conrad is great. Uh, who came up with those? Him and Provenza. Yeah, if the audience is in on it, they're going to be a little more forgiving. And I don't know. In the moment, it's like you know, you don't really want to let them know. Right. Uh, it takes away the challenge. And you got to work because on set list, the audience is going to be a little more forgiving for you because they're okay. like, oh, this you're clearly making it up on difficult shit that doesn't make any sense right. together yeah. like you know banana uh, banana conference yeah. is your prompt <laughs> now you have to make up a joke on the spot about banana conference right. or whatever it's like the audience gets it but um they're willing to go on this like journey that yeah gonna yeah make up stuff. so it's a little more i guess earned like as far as i can remember i don't remember ever addressing the audience and be like hey listen i'm making all of this up I have to because the audience is like, well, why do you have to? Why don't you just do your jokes? Mm. Well, there's this story, this backstory. <laughs> and, you know, then you have to tell the whole backstory. Right. But uh, they start to understand because I think very early on they get what's happening, even though I don't have to tell them because they see I'm going through the words relapse. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, he's doing he's doing this. This whole word is does he have jokes right. on letters and the alphabet and this word like does he already have all of these jokes like so like on some level they're understanding like oh this is something that's happening this is now 
And so it's more magical. Yeah. Because I didn't have to say, or I didn't come out and say, this is what we're going to do. You know? <laughs> it's true, yeah. So it's almost like they get to see a magic trick. I mean, calling it a magic trick almost feels a little conceited. No, but, I mean, um, I totally, I think it's But awesome. it's, it is a thing where it's like, they feel like they, they begin to understand like, oh, they're in on a magic trick. As opposed to being like, show, this is a magic trick here. Right. Do you see how I did it? No. (laughs) Well, that's magic. As opposed to like, oh, we're all in on a magic trick right now. Totally. They kind of figure it out, uh, you know, halfway through the set, I think. I I wanted to ask you, too. um, Where do you think, this is might be a convoluted question, too, but where do you think, like, comedy is sort of heading right now? Since there are a lot of comics now compared to, like, 30 years ago. And, like, improvising, do you think that fits in somewhere? Where comics did the same material everywhere where they would go. Yeah, well, no, I think there's something to be said for working material uh, and seeing and working it all around town or on the road and, uh, you know, having tried and true material. That's, it's, you know, Picasso didn't, or, you know, the Mona Lisa doesn't look different every time. It's not, true. you know, it's, there's something to be said for, tested stuff uh, tested stuff and a great thing and you know to have an act that travels that's the goal mm-hmm. i mean like to get it on an a- and then to eventually put it on an album uh and this whole idea that you have to record an album and then move on from that never do it again comedians are delusional if they think that they're gonna if they think they're louis ck the idea once he started coming out about how he does that it's like well you know Comedians weren't doing that when Carlin was doing it. Right. But for some reason, they think since Louis C.K. is doing it, they can do it. That everybody should. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you you're so an idiot. Yeah. Um, I, I shouldn't say you're an idiot, but, you know, the coffee's starting to kick in, so I get a little <laughs> aggressive. But, like, to think that, oh, you should. Abandon uh, everything. I still do jokes off my first album, which I released in 2009. And whether or not someone wants to say that's good or bad or whatever, I don't really care mm-hmm. because guess what? The people I'm doing them to have never heard them. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that most people have no idea who the hell I am. And so if I go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, or if I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, or if I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, these people have not heard these jokes. Um, so why not tell them? Right. Uh, Louis has to change him because it's like exactly there's a demand right, yeah. for his material and the idea that these comics don't think that they can't work on this material I've got jokes on my first and second album that are better now than they were when I recorded them just because I didn't stop doing them or thinking about them yeah and maybe sometimes they would just come out unexpectedly and I would change them on the spot without even realizing it and then be like oh my god it's so much better now um, to me I think so I think comedy, there are a lot more comedians now, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, the people who I think really complain about, there's too many comics and blah, 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 blah. Um, what are they worried about? Are they worried that they're not good enough to, you know, be good? The, does it decrease their chances to be good? Not sure the work is diluted a little bit. You know, you don't get as much work, but ultimately i think it comes to a fear of they're taking my spot and then don't let them take your spot then just keep get better i like it i mean whether or not there's 20 comedians or 20,000 you have to have the mindset where i'm good enough to be working i'm right. good enough to rise above the din 
right? So regardless of how many comedians there are. Um, I just think it's so cool. There's so many like there's so many like subgenres and there's so many different like comedians like before. I mean, I don't think that ever existed before. And like yeah, now, there's like, yeah, there's definitely. Can, I think that's uh, there's this guy Kevin Kelly who's got a great TED talk. He's like a scientist guy about uh, evolution, how it always tends towards specialization, and you can see it with fame. People used to just be famous mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Oh, they're famous. Uh, whether they were a rock star or a movie star or a TV star, they were just famous. They weren't like, oh, he's a he's TV famous or. But now you have now you have Twitter famous, which I guess is a thing. You know, (laughs) you have YouTube famous. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, there's adjectives in front of the word famous now, which is specialization. That you have alt comedy, you have club comedy. You know, it's like the specialization of the thing because it's been around longer and. Stand-up comedy does get more difficult every day because every day more jokes have been told about more things by more people. Mm -hmm. So to have a unique take on a subject becomes more difficult the later. That's why I'm so impressed by like really great music. Now, granted, I don't have a knowledge of all the music that came before to know if it's very similar or ripping off somebody. Yeah. So, I love that joke you do where like there's probably a guy, fourteen other guys doing the same exact. Oh joke. yeah, about being special <laughs> and unique. Back, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah, no matter how unique or special you think you are, <laughs> yeah, there's somebody just exactly like you doing it exactly, exact, living the exact same life. Um, no, I mean I didn't mean to say like where do you think comedy's going? I was such a weird question, but like because it's so different now and like there's just so many different like genres and things to do. And I mean, I'm just fascinated with improv and being able to utilize that in a stand-up. Yeah, sense. I don't think stand-up ever goes t- into full improv mode, you know, because then it wouldn't be stand-up anymore necessarily. Right. But I do think that, you know, uh, I remember when I was a kid, my dad told me that traffic is like a rubber band. Sometimes it stretches and sometimes it's it's tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think comedy is like that too. I don't think it's ever going to bust. Um, but it's definitely stretched out right now to where there's more can fit inside of it. And... I think it it will tighten again. Just that's just natural. It, it's definitely going to tighten again. And I think improv, some of the improv stylings, like shows like Set List and all that kind of stuff, which are really fun to do and are fun to watch. Although those are so good, I don't see them ever going away. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other shows and specializations of it that I think will go away. Like I run a monthly show called Underbelly, where stand-ups do everything but stand up. <laughs> so it's like all these stand-up comics have to go outside of their comfort zone yeah. to do. That's an example of specialization. What are some of the things that people do? Uh, a lot of character pieces and music. Uh, sometimes people read old journals, or oh, just cool. it can be anything. Someone's made a sandwich to music before. <laughs> Where's um, this at? Where can I go see? It? Echoes under sunset. Okay, on cool. the first Friday of every month uh, we, awesome. is when it happens. And uh, so, I mean, will will that show stick around forever? No, probably not. You know, just because it's a pretty niche show and. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to run it forever. Uh, sooner or later, I'll probably have, if I'm lucky, I'll have a kid or two, and my Friday night will be diapers and not, <laughs> you know, having you a mountain. Maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I will. <laughs> so I, never say never. But uh, yeah, so I think, th- I think there will definitely. I don't see less people doing tr- uh, trying stand-up comedy anytime soon, and I'm not, I'm not mad at them. Like, cause I remember when I started comedy, there was like, oh, there's so many comics nowadays. The old guys would say, yeah, it's like, that was 2002, 
you know? And it's like, no, that was pre-Twitter and all that shit. Right. And there were too many. Ah, there's so many damn comics now. <laughs> and it's like, oh, and so now you have guys going, oh, there's so many damn comics now. The so difference is my generation was better than your generation. Sure. Kind of talk, yeah. And it's always, too, it's, it's, it's just who's calling themselves comics. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody in the world can call themselves a comic, but... Um, not everybody's out there calling themselves a stand-up comic. Yeah. So relax. They're not, you know, they're not taking the anything from you. Yeah. yeah, they're not taking anything from you. Just relax. And if you think they're taking your spot, just work harder and yeah. get it back. Someone's not like, someone's not taking tickets from you. You're not selling tickets anyway. <laughs> Nobody's selling tickets anymore. Unless you're one of five people, you're not selling a fucking ticket. <laughs> you know, it's all free tickets. Right. Um. So, yeah, I think... Uh, uh, you know, I think podcasts really help stand up. I think podcasts are probably the most responsible for um, the stand-up comedy boom that's happened. Yeah, I mean, I have one. If I have one, then, th- then it's over. Then yeah, but at the same it. time, you know, there's I'm probably a handful of people who really enjoy your podcast. Oh, thanks. You know, uh, I mean, I don't know how many people listen to it, but I mean, there's probably, I'm sure you wouldn't keep doing it if you knew zero people listen to it, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's just one. Although that's what you need in stand-up comedy is like, oh, you just need to keep going, even though zero people are. (laughs) I I I was doing open mics for five years before I even got an MC week. I mean, so that's a long time to like. That's what I wanted to ask you too. It's like you've spent a long time doing open mics, uh, back where you're from, and then um, like this process of getting to where you are. Do you think um, performing in different cities because you always hear like people like oh you you should stay in your city first like in san francisco or somewhere and then come to la do you think that helps a lot or i think everybody's got their different i think it depends what you want Mm -hmm. i've i always wanted to be a touring stand-up comedian i wanted to be a stand-up who got to do television and stuff like that as well yeah and maybe did some movies and but i wanted to be a stand-up comedian who also did those things like so, when people said, "Oh, Ryan Singer, all oh, the stand-up," yeah, not the "Oh, Ryan Singer, all oh, the guy from uh, that sitcom," the actor, yeah, or the actor. Oh no, did you know he did stand-up? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, I want to be like, "Oh, the guy who does stand-up who also acts." Um, so for me, the Midwest was perfect because I was born there too. Um, so I already had kind of a support system, and you could drive to thirty clubs within eight hours in your car, which meant you could get stage time in front of regular people. What is Dayton like the audience like? Is it like can you try out a lot of like like San Francisco you can try out a lot of like out out there kind of stuff? Is it kind of well, like Well Dayton that you or? can try out their stuff too. Yeah. I mean whether or not you're I mean I mean I guess you could do that anywhere, but I'm just When general. I was coming up I was I told a lot of jokes to uh to silence. Cuz I mean like <laughs> like when you look out on stage and you don't see that much cuz of the lights, but it's just, and this is a generalization, and it's an exaggeration, I should say, but like a sea of NASCAR hats. Okay? Yeah. Imagine a sea of NASCAR hats. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling jokes to silence, essentially. Oh, wow, yeah. I'm getting silence responses. But then, you know, eventually you learn, okay, what makes them these work? are people. I'm a person. Just because they like different things doesn't mean we don't have shared experiences Mm -hmm. so how am i going to relate to these people because comedy is all about relating you don't think something's funny if you can't relate to it right um you have to understand it um or it's just gibberish so 
So that was the challenge for me was how do I get these people that I don't identify with at all? How do I make them understand that we're different yet? We have this, the same experience of life. Um, and so that was a, it was a really great challenge and different cities have different people, right? but essentially they're all the same. I mean, the idea, I think we can get into our heads too much about like all these people are different because then after a show, somebody who you would never expect will walk up to you and be like, Oh my God, that thing you did was so funny. Or, Oh, I really got that thing. It's like, Oh, look at you. I never would have like, if, if you walked into my show beforehand and I was like in a judge mood, I'd be like, this person's not going to get it. Get them out of here. It's like, oh, then you're you're not giving people a chance. What do you think it is when you go on the road and stuff? What is the material that most people like relate to? I know that's out, but like well, personal things, like stories, and I think so. Like, there's you have to. F- there's tricks and ways to make people get what you do. Um, there's a weird L.A. specifically. When I first moved here, there was like there was this alt comedy world. Uh, idea mm-hmm. and then there was also like oh road dogs right and the same way that there's comics that are doing quote unquote alt stuff that almost no one gets there are quote unquote road dogs doing stuff that everyone gets right yeah. and I don't necessarily think that there's value in either one of those as far as like the end of each end of the spectrum goes um, you could argue one's trying to attempt art and the other's Trying to sell just trying sense. to sell t-shirts yeah. but um it's too extreme on both. yeah but it's like wait who cares like what um the person who's selling a thousand t-shirts on the road uh with like joke book jokes and shit mm-hmm. like that like what are they taking your audience <laughs> from you like you're on stage you know painting your face <laughs> uh you know reading from your fourth grade journal and you think you have the same audience like you're not going for the those people right, who yeah. are going to buy those t-shirts. Why do you care? <laughs> Let them have them. Yeah. Uh, I just know. admire comics just doing it. Like just doing stand up I think is the coolest thing sure. in the world. Yeah, and I think uh the, but there's like a tinge to like there's a negative tinge to like oh there's a road dog. Road dog. And to me Why I don't is that? Why is I that don't know. I don't know because to me oh a road dog someone who makes a living doing stand up comedy that sounds like a great idea. For me, the dream is going on the road. I think that's the sure. coolest part. And I think that's the thing. There, Anybody who identifies, I think anyone who identifies as a stand-up comic, the dream is to go on the road. Yeah. Now, the people who don't identify as a stand-up comic, first and foremost, they're not worried about doing the road. They want to write for TV or they want to do something else or host a show oh, or yeah. whatever. Who cares? Right. Um, but they're not identifying as a stand-up comic. Now, stand-up comics are very inclusive to those who identify as stand-ups. But if you don't identify as a stand-up, there is a little bit too much of a clicky nature to the world, I think. Because they're like, oh, you're not a stand-up. What the... Get out of here. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Is that a guitar? Are you a stand-up or not? Like, I was reading this book. Uh, it's so funny, the guitar comic thing. Uh-huh. Because everybody says, oh, man, I hate guitar comics, but I love Henry Phillips. <laughs> and like so it goes to show that even the most staunch people are willing to like identify and acknowledge something that's really great. Right. 
And like to say that there's no place for that in stand-up comic is ridiculous. In stand-up comedy is ridiculous. I think that's just jealousy. You're it just is like, jealousy. Oh, I can't play guitar. So yeah, and I'm not guy. nearly as funny as this guy right. or or this this lady or whatever. But it's uh anything that's funny, I think, is awesome. Like yeah, yeah. And there's no rules. I mean, and and like, but like the clicky nature of things. It's when people identify too much with these like set of rules they believe exist. Right. And like that are comedy only or stand up comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's funny because like doing the road, people are like, "You man, you're just too weird for this room." And then like here in town, it'd be like, "Oh, you're you're kind of you got some road to you, <laughs> right?" Right. So it's like, oh, this reminds me, my whole life I've been living this dichotomy where you never like where i was a theater major also in a fraternity yeah so like my fraternity brothers were like oh you're a theater guy yeah. and the theater people were like oh you're a frat boy <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like i'm i'm very comfortable you know you're living just right that. in the middle you know yeah yeah, yeah i'm right in the middle yeah. and uh, i think uh when when stand-up comics get really clicky and like oh we're comics you're not a comic get the fuck out of here it's like okay we need to relax you need to settle down <laughs> none of this is important at all none of this has any true meaning We're not uh, every, We're everything <laughs> is meaningless you're ascribing so much value to something that isn't necessary uh we could you all be dead skills. tomorrow and the world continues and you're getting so fired up about it and there's nothing wrong with loving what you do and becoming passionate about uh you know uh, you know what you strive totally, to achieve yeah. but at the same time when you become that delusional to think that it's the most important thing in the world like when stand-up comics or actors you know, become so full of themselves mm -hmm. and think they're better than people. That to me is it's it's funny. It's totally funny, yeah. but it's a tragedy too. But it's like, oh, he you think really you're that. you really think you're you really think you're better than me because of <laughs> uh, something, or you think you're better than people because oh, <laughs> that's really adorable. That's really adorable. But uh, if there's a hell, you'll be there. <laughs> But there's not, so okay. <laughs> we're just going to have to live with you. We're just going to have to live with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no reason to. I mean, I'll tell you though. Like, I don't, I don't get drunk a lot, but every once in a while on the road, I'll get drunk. Mm. And if there's a bunch of young comics around, and it's not like I've been doing it forever. Mm. I've only been doing it like 13 years. Um, I just, I won't shut the fuck up about stand-up comedy. <laughs> like about how important it is. <laughs> what we're doing here is art, boys and girls. Let's let's be focused. Dedicate your life. You it's know. not a guitar. Get that out of here. Get that out of here. So, are those, are those, are those flashcards? Get them. Are you taking a notebook on stage? I'll kill you. Flounder. <laughs> Don't take your notes, flounder. <laughs> Embrace that oh, feeling of being lost. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, settle like down. I wake up the next day and I don't have a voice. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to do two shows tonight. What happened last night? I'm like, oh, I had like two shots of whiskey and three beers. I must have talked all night about how stand-up is the most important thing in the world. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. It was such a pleasure. Is that an hour too. already? I believe so. Yep. Well, golly. Okay. Uh, well, that was fun talk. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for bringing me candy. No problem. And I'll post this next Monday, so if you wanted okay. to plug any shows next Cool, yeah. Monday. And uh, we were talking about that uh, that bootleg. It's on uh, meandparanormalu.com. Okay, sweet. Or on SoundCloud also on iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. So if people are interested in it. Thank you so much. A lot of I've interviewed a lot of comedians on there who have had paranormal experiences. Oh, cool. Yeah. As well. So I'd love to hear it. Pretty cool. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, thanks, Harry. Thank you. 